0: This morning's reading is from Acts chapter 9 verses 1 to 22. In Jerusalem, Saul was trying to scare the followers of the Lord, even saying that he would kill them. He went to the high priest and asked him to write letters to the synagogues in the city of Damascus. Saul wanted the high priest to give him the authority to find people in Damascus who were followers of the way. He found If, if he found any believers there, men or women, he would arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem. So Saul went to Damascus. When he came near the city, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shined around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul said, Who are you, Lord? The voice answered, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Get up now and go into the city. Someone there will tell you what you must do. The men traveling with saul just stood there unable to speak they heard the voice but they saw no one saul got up from the ground and opened his eyes but he could not see so the men with him held his hand and led him into damascus for three days saul could not see he did not eat or drink there was a follower of jesus in damascus named ananias and in a vision the lord said to him ananias ananias answered here I am Lord. The Lord said to him, get up and go into the street called Straight Street. Find the house of Judas and ask for a man named Saul from the city of Tarsus. He is there now praying. He has seen a vision in which a man named Ananias came and laid hands on him so that he would see again. But Ananias answered, Lord, many people have told me about this man. They told me about the many bad things that he did to your holy people in Jerusalem. Now he has come here to Damascus. The leading priests have given him the power to arrest all the people who trust in you. But the Lord Jesus said to Ananias, Go, I have chosen Saul for an important work. I want him to tell the other nations, their rulers, and the people of Israel about me. I will show him all that he must suffer for me. So Ananias left and he went to the house of Judas, and he laid his hands on Saul and said, Saul, my brother, the Lord Jesus sent me. He is the one you saw on the road when you came here. He sent me so that you can see again and also be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something that looked like fish scales fell off Saul's eyes. He was able to see. Then he got up and was baptised. After he ate, he began to feel strong again. Saul stayed with the followers of Jesus in Damascus for a few days. Soon he began to go to the synagogues and tell people about Jesus. He told the people, Jesus is the Son of God. All the people who heard Saul were amazed. They said, this is the same man who was in Jerusalem trying to destroy the people who trust in Jesus. And that is why he has come here to arrest the followers of Jesus and take them back to the leading priests. But Saul became more and more powerful in proving that Jesus is the Messiah. His proofs were so strong that the Jews who lived in Damascus could not argue with him. Amen.
1: Let's pray. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your words. Uh, We thank you that it is your word. It's true. You've inspired it. And we thank you for uh, your work in the life of uh, Saul of Tarsus, the impact that you had upon him. Lord, we pray that uh, as we look at this portion of your word now, that you would speak to us through your word. And indeed, uh, we might similarly be challenged, uh, as was Saul of Tarsus, if indeed we haven't yet come to trust in Jesus. We commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story about a leader in a church who was trying to tell the children about how Christians should act. So he asked the kids this question, why would people look at me and think I'm a Christian? The kids were silent. So he asked the question again. And again, none of the kids could come up with an answer. Finally, one small child looked up and answered, because they don't know you. We need to be careful what we ask kids in public, don't we? Because children are so very honest. The early church grew across the then-known world almost immediately after Jesus. How did that happen? And why did it happen? Often we look at the growth of the church through the lens of the Book of Acts. It was a westward movement through Turkey and Greece. And we know that the Apostle Paul also had plans to go to Spain. But the church grew in all sorts of other directions as well. Mark Knoll explains the other directions that the church was growing in. I quote, It's clearer now, he says, than it was even 50 years ago, that the Christian faith spread out eastward from Jerusalem and Judea as well as westwards, so into Odessa, into what's now modern Iran, Iraq, even in some ways perhaps a little bit further into what would now be considered the stands of Central Asia. The Christian movement was moving up northwards towards what's contemporary Russia, as well as in the better-studied, more traditionally focused upon movement of the Christian faith westward into the Mediterranean and eventually northward into Europe. It's incredibly surprising that the church actually spread at all, though. There was so much against it actually going forward. Here are some reasons why it shouldn't have actually spread. Firstly, the Romans crucified the Messiah figure that the church was following. Jesus was hung on a Roman cross, publicly crucified. The Romans crucified people who acted as kings or messiahs in order to prove that they weren't kings or messiahs. Secondly, the Christian faith came from a backwater region. We hear about Jesus of Nazareth, and that makes Nazareth sound important. But Jerusalem and Judea were actually out in the nether regions of the Greco-Roman world, a backwater state with a weird group of people who served only one God. And of course, the backwater of the backwater was Nazareth. The idea that the ruler of the world would come from Nazareth was a very odd concept. Add to that, the two leading authorities of that region stood against the church growing or spreading. The Jewish leaders stood against the church, and that was epitomised by Saul, who became Paul. Michael Bird talks about Paul's actions in trying to stop the spread of the church. Quote, And he says he was filled with zeal. Zeal doesn't mean just bucket loads of enthusiasm. Zeal means a willingness to engage in holy violence to protect God's reputation and to protect the purity and the sanctity of the people of God. Saul came to target one particular group, followers of Jesus, the Nazarene, the followers of the way, who would eventually be called Christians. He targeted them because he believed that they were a rogue cult. He wanted to completely nullify them as a movement. Now, whether that meant suppressing them, scattering them, imprisoning them, beating them, or in some cases even killing them, this was a guy who really believed that the end justifies the means. Not only were the Jewish leaders actively standing against the Christian church, the Roman authorities eventually stood against the church as well. Because Christians only believed in one God and would not worship the emperor, they were seen as a dangerous and subversive group. So Christians could be ostracised, persecuted, even killed for following Jesus. Next, the Christians had no power. Those who led the church had no military power. They had no political power and they had no financial power, no financial influence. So if you put all those things together, the fact that the church grew at all is just a miraculous outcome. So what was it that caused the church to spread in those first couple of hundred years? Well, the first thing that I want to suggest is it's the validity of the person of Jesus. We talked last week about the fact that the apostles and the followers of Jesus were witnesses of things that they saw happen, of things that they heard and were completely committed to. They weren't people with just good ideas. They were people with good news. They were so committed to the concept that Jesus was the Messiah sent from God that of the 11 apostles left, 10 of them were martyred for their faith. In other words, they went to their death holding to the truth that Jesus was God on this earth who died and rose again. Their belief in this caused their deaths. What a great commitment to what they believed. And that's still important. There's a famous quote from C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, which goes like this. Either this man, that's Jesus, was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not come, says C.S. Lewis, with any patronising nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. The second reason is the message of Jesus resonated with people at that time. What we need to understand is that potentially 30 to 40% of people in those days were slaves. Some of the great thinkers of the day actually thought that slaves weren't even human. For example, Aristotle described slaves as living tools, something that you own. If the gospel was going to smash through barriers of resistance in the first century, there would have to be, as there has been in each century since the beginning of Christianity, a recognisable transformation of a person or group of people that would grab the attention of the masses. During the three decades following the death, burial, resurrection and ascension of Jesus, the person chosen by the Lord to lead the crusade for spreading the gospel beyond the boundaries of Palestine was Saul of Tarsus. Tom Holland speaks about the influence of the teaching of the Apostle Paul. Quote, If you are being told that if you are baptised in some way, you enter into the family of God, you become a son, you become a daughter of God, you are being given the kind of dignity that hitherto only emperors have been able to boast. You know, if you're a field slave, if you're a scullery maid, if you're a prostitute being worked to death in a brothel, this kind of dignity is something that is unprecedented. End quote. Imagine that change that everybody is important to God. Not just the emperors or the wealthy or the educated, but everybody. And that's still true today. We're all important to God. We matter, not because of what we do or how we perform or how many social media followers we have or how much we accumulate or however important we think we are. We matter to God because we're made in his image. That was true then and it resonated with people and it's also true today. The third factor in the growth of the Christian church is the power of the Spirit of God. A football coach at the University of Alabama, Paul Bear Bryant, once gathered all his coaches together for a meeting and he told them, there are different kinds of boys out there and we don't want all of them playing football at Alabama. There's one kind of boy who gets knocked down and stays down. We don't want him at Alabama. There's another boy who gets knocked down and gets up. But if you knock him down again, he stays down. We don't want that boy at Alabama either. But there are some boys that you can knock down and they get up. You can knock them down over and over again and they will always get up. One of the assistant coaches piped up, that's the kind of boy we want at Alabama, isn't it, coach? No, said Bear. We want the boy that's knocking the others down. So it's somewhat surprising who God wants to have on his team to evangelise the world. If you were selecting missionaries in the first century, you would never choose Saul of Tarsus. He was the church's number one enemy. He grew up a Pharisee in Tarsus, a Roman citizen in a Roman city. His parents were so devoted that they sent him to Jerusalem to study with the renowned Rabbi Gamaliel. There, Saul was the brightest hope for leadership among the Pharisees. Like most Pharisees, Saul supported the crucifixion of Jesus. When Jesus' disciples began to preach that Jesus was risen from the dead and was indeed both Lord and Messiah, Saul was infuriated. So what happened to change that? Well, Saul was on his way to a place called Damascus, and before he arrived there, he had this encounter. Acts chapter 9, verses 3 to 6. When he came near the city, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shined around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul said, Who are you, Lord? The voice answered, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Get up now and go into the city. Someone there will tell you what you must do. As Saul and his entourage made their way along that dusty road, the risen Lord appeared to him, confronted him, converted him, and blinded him to establish that God was in control, and from then on, in charge of Saul's life. Then Ananias, a Christian leader from Damascus, was sent by God to Saul, and Ananias prayed with him. And the scales fell off Saul's eyes, and here's what happened next Acts chapter 9, verses 19 to 22. Saul stayed with the followers of Jesus in Damascus for a few days. Soon he began to go to the synagogues and tell people about Jesus. He told the people, Jesus is the Son of God. All the people who heard Saul were amazed. They said, This is the same man who was in Jerusalem trying to destroy the people who trust in Jesus. And that's why he has come here, to arrest the followers of Jesus and take them back to the leading priests. But Saul became more and more powerful in proving that Jesus is the Messiah. His proofs were so strong that the Jews who lived in Damascus could not argue with him. It wasn't that somebody came with a good idea that changed Saul's thinking. It was the power of God's Holy Spirit. That's what changed Saul and turned him into the great missionary. And that's what continues to influence people today. It's been said that sin deforms us, education informs us, prison reforms us, but only Jesus transforms us. The fourth uh, uh, factor uh, in the growth of the church is the influence of the credibility of the followers of Jesus. Christians lived in the Greco-Roman world with a very different set of values, and when they lived with that different set of values, this was noticed by people, and it influenced them to also become followers of Jesus. Mark Knoll talks about that influence of Jesus' followers. Quote, A really good sociologist, Rodney Stark, now at Baylor University, has made the very persuasive and interesting thesis. Early Christianity spread, yes, because the message was effective, yes, because the person of Jesus was attractive, but perhaps most because Christians were simply there in a not very well-organised, not too systematic way, Christians were simply there to do acts of kindness, humanity, outreach, in situations where Roman culture did not smile favourably on that kind of person-to-person, group-to-group outreach. End quote. The gospel has the power to change the way we view other people, the way we treat other people, the way we care for other people, and the way we include other people. It was like the early followers of Jesus recognized that they needed to live out what Jesus asked them to do, and that was so different from the Greco Roman world at that time. This all comes out from a wonderful word picture of the end of time found in Matthew chapter 25. The king has all the peoples of the nations before him, and he's separating the sheep from the goats. The sheep on his right are those who are righteous and those on his left are the goats who aren't. The passage says that the king would turn to those on his right and he would say to them, the king would say to the godly people on his right, come, my father has great blessings for you. The kingdom he promised is now yours. It's been prepared for you since the world was made. It is yours because when I was hungry, you gave me food to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I had no place to stay, you welcomed me into your home. When I was without clothes, you gave me something to wear. When I was sick, you cared for me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. The sheep on the king's right are about to go into their eternal inheritance. But they turn to the king and they say, we're pleased to be going into eternity with you, but just before we go, when exactly did we see you thirsty or hungry or naked or in prison? Because we reckon we'd remember that. We don't actually remember ever doing that. So when did it happen? These words from the lips of Jesus have actually changed the world. Matthew 25 verse 40. Then the king will answer, the truth is, anything you did for any of my people here, you also did for me. So the followers of Jesus recognised that it wasn't just the people closest to them that they were to care for, because whenever they did care for people, they did it for Jesus whom they followed. That was really important in 165 AD and 251 AD when there were plagues across the known world. Somewhere between 20 and 30% of the people died in those plagues. Sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? At that time, everyone who could get out of town and run from the plague would do so. The pagan priests ran, the politicians ran, the wealthy ran... But who didn't run for the hills? It was the followers of Jesus. They remembered that their task was to care for the least of these. That action by the followers of Jesus made an enormous difference because they lived out a different set of values. And the fifth factor. This all leads to a new identity in Christ. We talked about Saul before. He becomes Paul after that change in his life on the Damascus Road. He becomes a missionary and goes across the known world. But Paul also often wrote to the churches in the place where he'd started a church. One such place was Corinth. And in the New Testament, we have two letters that he wrote to the church at Corinth. In the second of those letters, he writes these astounding words. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. When anyone is in Christ, it is a whole new world. The old things are gone. Suddenly, everything is new. Jesus offers a new identity, not just a new behaviour or a new community or new life aims. Something has actually changed. Something deep within us is changed. Paul's saying that he turned from persecuting those who followed Jesus to being a champion of the message of Jesus. He turned from being one far from the kingdom of God to one who espoused the kingdom of God. He has a new identity in Christ. So this morning, it's really important to ask each one of us, have you considered a new identity in Christ? Where do you stand before God? Many of us may have been around church for quite some time before we went into isolation. But the question we all need to ask ourselves is this, are we just trying to add new behaviours? Are we just trying to add a new community? Or have we actually found a new identity in Christ? Jesus didn't die on a cross and rise to life again just to start a new gathering of people called a church. He didn't do it just so that we might have a few new ideas about how to live. He did it so that we would be able to know God personally, that our eternal destiny would be held secure in him. So it would seem to me that it would be wrong to go past this morning without asking you whether you want to find your new identity in Jesus, because you can actually do that. It's not that complicated. It's recognising who Jesus is, just like Paul did on that Damascus road, meeting Jesus in an astounding way. It changed his life. Maybe this morning you need to meet Jesus. You need to respond to God. We respond by saying, I accept what Jesus has done on the cross. I accept a new identity in Christ. I'm sorry for how I've lived. I want to follow Jesus as the Lord of my life. Is that where you're at today? Well, here's a prayer for you this morning. I'm going to pray. Will you pray with me? Lord, I come to you today. I'm sorry for how I've lived. I'm sorry for ignoring you. I ask for your forgiveness, not because I deserve it, but because Jesus died for me on the cross to take the punishment for my sins. Jesus, come into my life today. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live what I say I believe. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, let me ask you to do two things. One, tell somebody. Somebody who's part of our church community, someone who's a family member, someone that you trust, tell them that you've prayed that prayer and that you've found a new identity in Jesus this morning. Secondly, let me encourage you to start reading the Bible. Pick up God's words. Start perhaps with the Gospel of Luke, where Luke tells Jesus' story. Read, say, five to ten verses each day. Reflect on what those verses might be saying to you. Then pray about how Jesus would like you to live in response to those words. We all need a new identity in Christ. We all need to know that it's not that we're important because of how we perform in life. We're important because Jesus loves us, because Jesus died for us. His resurrection was so that we can know that our identity, our future and our eternity is held in God's hands. I pray today that you would live the truth of your new identity in Christ. So let's again pray. Let's bow in prayer. Father God, we thank you that by your Holy Spirit you come into our lives and you change us from the inside out. Thank you for the incredible transformation that you made in the life of uh, uh, Saul of Tarsus. You uh, turned a man who was uh, hell-bent on wiping out Christians to becoming one one of the great missionaries of all time, someone who believed the gospel of Jesus so strongly that he was prepared to go to the ends of the earth to tell people about you. Father God, may we, each and every one, know that same transforming power in our lives. Lord, it's not just a matter of uh, changing a little area of our behaviour or changing uh, the group that we belong to, but actually changing us from the inside out. Lord, if there are those who prayed that prayer this morning in the talk, pray that you would strengthen them in their resolve to follow you. Help them and protect them. Keep them for yourself. And Lord, uh, may we together grow in Christ, encouraging those who've perhaps just come to faith in Christ to continue growing. We uh, ask these things for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen.